Welcome to Crazy Tech Stories, where Hacker Noon brings you a handful of stories from the community at large. I'm Derek Bernard. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we have three crazy tech stories for you, which are part of a larger series of talks presented in association with Indeed Prime and Huckletree at Huckletree's London location. This first talk is from Simon Wolf, a developer from Ably.io. He discusses what happens when a bug disappears or alters its behavior when one attempts to probe or isolate it. These are slide presentations, so if you're listening on audio, head on over to the YouTube channel, click subscribe, and follow along. Without further ado, Simon Wolf. So I like reading debugging stories. I like seeing mystery and depth. So here's a debugging story. It starts small, as they often do. Something that just doesn't quite work as expected. Uh, getting an unknown path was returning a 500 internal server error rather than a 404 not found. But only in production, not on my local machine, not in CI. So this shouldn't happen because I have a catch-all handler in the web server I'm using that serves a pretty 404, which definitely works. It works locally, it has tests, and up until now it's worked in production. So I check the logs, and they're empty. Which shouldn't be possible, because anything that causes a 500 should print an error log. Um, for anyone not familiar with Elixir or Erlang, the idea is that if something happens that you didn't anticipate, you let it crash. The process, actually a green thread um, handling that particular task dies, and if needed, it's restarted in, in a known good state by its supervisor. Uh, and when that happens, you get a crash report in the logs. So, uh, this is weird. I do the same thing a bunch more times, and suddenly... Ah, what's going on here? Application logger exited, shut down. The logger's clashed. Well, okay, that explains why I wasn't seeing anything. Um, the logger application must be flushing sit out or something. So, okay, the module that's clashed in is my 404 handler, and the reason makes no sense. It's crashing in inspect and in inspecting an empty list, um, and it's claiming that inspect is undefined. Now, inspect is part of the Elixir standard library. It's pretty printing data structures for debugging standard. There's no way it's undefined. So here's the line it crashed on. And the bit it crashed on is literally equivalent to inspecting an empty list. And inspect definitely does work. On the same instance having the problem, I'm logging some info when the app starts, which uses inspect. Not a list, admittedly, so I add something to app startup just to inspect an empty list. And the bug disappears. Everything works fine. I take it away again, and it starts hacking again, uh, sometimes. Not every time, that would be too easy. Uh, so it starts to look like this is only ever happening if the first call to inspect is from a web server request handler. So I could work around the problem by doing this on app startup, inspecting and logging one of every data structure I can think of uh, immediately on app startup. This is crazy. So, when it happens, the function is not available at runtime, but the physical file containing the compiled code for inspect is there in the slug. I downloaded it and checked. And now I'm getting really deep into weird debugging. You've got code that since you're loaded, which loads a module if it isn't already, just seems to behave completely randomly. And to be clear, this isn't just between builds, it's between deploys of the same slug, the same compiled artifact. So, does this mean we've got a bug in the language now in Erlang's code loader? So, now I have a GitHub issue in the language's bug tracker with all sorts of scary labels, and eventually with a lot of assistance from the incredibly helpful Elixir community, 
we figured out that the whole being run from a web server with best handle was just a red herring. It was making a difference because if it runs on app start, if it was just running earlier, which led to the solution. But before I give you the solution, quick uh, note on how we deploy. So our CI server compiles a slug, which includes everything needed to run the app, which we then copy to where it's needed and mount it with overlayfs, which is a kind of file system that means that when the application tries to write something to the slug, it doesn't actually change the slug. It writes the changes to a separate upper layer that's overlaid on top of the lower slug layer. And the upper directory is in slash temp, um, in, in it's a directory unique to each docking container. So that means multiple independent Docker containers can share the same slug at the same time. It means you can redeploy and then start from a completely clean slate and so on. The thing is, we have a maintenance script that runs immediately after a deploy completes that apparently, among other things, cleans up any files in slash temp with the last modified time of older than two days ago. Since the things in slash temp are these other directories, the cleanup script didn't change the actual slug, which was why it looks fine whenever I downloaded it, but it was marking the files as deleted in overlayfs, so they were being hidden from the Docker container. So the result was that any compiled uh, slug that had not yet been, any compiled file that had not yet been loaded by the Erlang VM at the time the cleanup script ran was marked as deleted and so became inaccessible. And that was why it was only happening with uh, inspecting a list because every other code path and every other uh, part of inspect had been loaded at the time, had been, was it being exercised on app, app startup. So the solution moved the overlayfs upper directory out of such temp. Thank you. That was Simon Wolf from Ably.io. His Twitter handle is at S-E-M-W. This next talk is from Alex Bohr, tech lead at Huckletree. Huckletree was the host of this little shindig, and Alex tells you who they are. Hey, hi everyone, so I'm Alex, I'm the tech lead here at Huckletree. So I thought I'd give a quick introduction about where you are today. Huckletree is a WordSpace accelerator. We bring together renegade minds and startup scale-ups, innovation brands, and global brands. And we help them to collaborate, and also we help them to grow. So currently you're in our shortage space, but we have three other sites. We have one in White City, we have one in Dublin, and we have another one in Clerkenwell. We are launching four more sites this year. We have one in Soho, which is coming in two and a half weeks. So we're very excited about that. We have Westminster, which we have partnered with Public Hall. So that will be a GovTech focused location. We have Manchester launching late summer, and we have one more, which is going to be revealed later. So a lot of people ask, why does Huckletree have a tech team? So I thought I'd actually try and sort of give a bit more information around that. So the Huckletree platform is actually completely custom built. So this is everything which involves both our members and our team. So every touch point from all locations all interact on our platform. So this involves things like Node.js, PHP, TypeScript. Uh, we've got quite a big tech stack all in microservices. And we are currently now a team of four. So we are trying to grow the team at the moment. So we're hiring full stack JavaScript and PHP developers. And we're also hiring some network engineers. So these will be people that will be going on site and making sure all of our buildings are staying operational. So we've all worked together on our benefit scheme. So this involves things like Vitality Health Insurance and our company Away Days. And we also have things such as our Curiosity Budget. 
So this is sort of your 150 pounds to spend on anything that you have of interest. So I spent mine last year on learning Hebrew on a course I am yet to start. <laughs> so you can really spend what you want on it. Anyway, um, so I'm Alex, you can follow me on Twitter, you can find me or Enrica if you want a tour of our shortage space, so Enrica's over there. And yeah, let me know if you're interested in any of the open roles that we have. Alright. That was Alex Bohr. You can follow him on Twitter at Alexander Bohr. This last talk is from Anton Moskovoy in Don't Do Releases on Friday, which is self-explanatory. Here's Anton. Uh, hey everybody. Um, so this is not something you know very official. Obviously, we're here just to chat. Um, this is actually one of the funniest stories. Um, the thing is, is that probably the funniest one was when um, I got an email from um, David saying, "Hey, this is what we're doing, and um, well, do you mind sharing one of the crazy stories?" So I got back to my team. I was like, "Well, which one should we share?" And uh, actually, you know, <laughs> I got way too many responses out there, so it's a bit. You know, a bit you know puzzled about what we should do. But anyway, so um, the startup that I'm talking about right now, from Anik, uh, we provide financial services for um, emerging markets. Um, this is this is a, just a little bit of you know the kind of stories so that you understand the context. And the idea is is that um, since we're working in emerging markets, um, the majority of the customers that we have, they don't have their legal identities. So none of them, you know, the IDs, passports, the majority of them wouldn't even have the birth certificate. So legally, they don't exist. They're not on any like email list, sanctions list. So any KYC is a nightmare. Um, so the, the title of my topic is obviously, you know, don't do releases on Friday, which should be your dogma. Obviously, uh, you never really follow it. Um, and the story really begins, you know, Friday late. Um, evening, um, it was just like yet another week, you know, constant releases and then, you know, really painful releases as we really tried to, uh, you know, um, grow out. And um, at that time, we were releasing um, our biometric system. Um, so, again, think about it as a face ID that allows you to, like, log in and dedicate into the app only using your face, right? Um, there's a twist to it, right? So, let's say, like, your iPhone X or anything that's, you know, Samsung X10, whatever. Um, there, the, you know, the face safety, whatever you're using, is actually a combination of two things. You know, the hardware solution and software solution, both to determine, you know, ethnicity, you know, whether you're actually a real person, or what, you know, whether it's a picture of somebody else's, whatever. Um, our system is only using the software layer, so, um, so that it could work on cheap um, Androids. Um, but then obviously we're getting into a whole lot of other problems, but, you know, that's not really the point of this conversation. So anyways, we tested the system quite a lot. Um, we tested, we did some, you know, uh, really close releases with it, you know, test launches, we did stress tests. And, um, you know, as the, see, the point is, is that there's um, the difference in, you know, uh, identifying people, so let's say by face, you know, facial recognition. So there's two major things you can split it up um, in terms of the logic. So one is called one-to-one. -one. So basically when you have a verified source of an image, let's say your government ID, and you have a picture of a person, the only thing you have to do is just, you know, see whether there's a match. That's, you know, relatively easy. Um, what we were doing is called one-to-n. So basically what you have, um, you have a picture of the face, and you have to look and go through all of the database of the users that you have um, to determine whether there's a match. So whether it's a new user, uh, whether it's a live user, and you know, a whole bunch of other things. So anyway, so we were, um, you know, we were releasing. Um, it was, as I mentioned, it was a painful thing. And uh, eventually we went out live. 
Um, so at that time, we were present in uh, about 30 or 35 countries, like African countries. Right now, it's around 42. Um, and everything was fine, so it was late after the midnight, everybody was tired. And uh, obviously, you know, when you finally release it, you go live and nothing breaks in the first five minutes, you're kind of like, all right, we're good, we're done. Um, so we go, we go, you know, we go to that. Um, obviously, we're, we're just not, you know, yet um, kind of startup, so we still have one person, um, you know, on duty having, you know, like, you know, you've seen those movies, you know, where hackers, you have a bunch of, you know, screens out there with metrics. Uh, it's not really like that, it's just, you know, you have your Slack channel and you see, you know, you see all these bots if they're pinging something that something's wrong. So anyways, um, we got this one of the, you know, DevOps engineers and he starts, you know, his Slack starts pinging a lot, like, you know, a lot. Um, so obviously he starts looking to the charts and then, you know, the performance grade uh, notifications are telling that, you know, we're dying. Um, out there, specifically one of the services. Um, and it was basically, you know, the uh, authentication service, so which is, you know, which is to do with uh, the biometric system we have. And finally or not, it's actually one of the critical services because you guys probably know about the dependency of this, right? So basically, if people can log in or sign up into your app, well, you know, the app doesn't really make any sense, though, right? Um, so it was Saturday morning when uh, it was the entire DevOps team already all awake trying to fix and solve the problem. Um, it was only the Sunday and the afternoon, that's when already, you know, obviously the rest of the team was up and we were trying to resolve the issue. When we figured out it was actually one of, um, you know, one of the algorithms that we use for um, the search, you know, the binary search that we do in order to actually uh, go through that many images of people and trying to find you know, that uh, specific match. Um, so, you know, soon after, it was actually four days, so, right, it took us Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, so obviously you guys, you guys obviously know about the technical debt, right? So who has the technical debt here? Yeah, I know we all do, right? So, um, now, now we see, so that's already, you know, no weekend, um, really, really miserable devs, um, not happy product managers, uh, the new sprint is already kind of screwed up. And that's when we were finally able to uh, manage the things and obviously see the impact. And uh, it turned out that uh, what happened, uh, one of the ambassadors that we have like, in local countries, they had, a, uh, they had an event, uh, a massive event, which led to this incredible amount of new users signing up. So gradually, um, one of the services that we were using was basically dying um, out of you know, constantly getting slower and slower than stopping on searches. And, uh, well, Finally, you know, um, out the you know out of the time response. Um, so it took us you know four days to figure it out, and it was actually around fifty thousand uh, people um, who we think were not able to register. So we're not even talking about the users uh, and the churn kind of rate spike, right? All the users that left the app because they couldn't log in. Um, but it was around fifty thousand users that you know that simple mistake um, was was worth us. Um, quite an expensive lesson, but basically what we learned. Um, yet another time, actually, um, that you know, you, if if things would be, let's say, you know, Monday, Tuesday, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, maybe even Friday morning, still don't like it. But anyways, if it was during the daytime, there'd be the entire team that could actually support, you know, the rollback, and things wouldn't be that bad, and things wouldn't be critical. I mean, the message was obviously out there, always, and you know, very loud and clear: don't do releases on Friday. And it was kind of like, you know, it was, it was, you know, it cost the business money, it cost obviously the engineers, uh, you know, some, probably, you know, a couple of years of all the lives. Um, it was a bit of a stressful situation, you know, out there obviously when 
um, you know, when you have all this, uh, you know, especially like media uh, locally in the markets, you know, that's there and telling you, well, hey, you know, this this new awesome app that allows you to do this, this, and that, and then people, you know, go in and you know, it does nothing, obviously. Um, so, you know, the moral of the story is very simple: is dress, please don't do releases on Friday. And there was Anton Motskovoy. You can find him on Twitter at Motskovoy underscore Anton. That's all for today, y'all. You can find the slides and videos for these presentations on youtube.com slash hackernoon. And hey, don't forget to subscribe. For Crazy Tech Stories, I'm Derek Bernard. Over and out.